and lungs. There we go. Uh, yeah, so our speaker today is Elizabeth B. Uh, she's one of the first few people I've met with Tusnua and the pandemic. She's done service for our group. Um, she's an incredible character. She just moved to Spain as well. And um, yeah, take as long as you need, Elizabeth. And always great to see you and hear you. Thank you again, my dear. Thank you, and, and thank you, Mark, for asking me to speak. It was it was well timed. I'm um, I'm out of sorts. I'm having some health problems, and um, they're not going to be that easily easily resolved. And uh, I'm not happy. I don't like I don't like when I have constraints on me. Um, you know, I've got a long time sober, and I still like acceptance of reality. Not that great at it, um, but I have been able to stay sober for a long time. Uh, before, during, and after, I guess I should do that. That's, the, that's our suggested format and it's tried and true and it works pretty well. So I grew up in 60s and 70s. I was born in 65 to older parents in Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, rural place, very, very different world from today's only child. And, um, you know, everybody drank, everybody smoked, everybody drank, you know, you had the martini shaker, you had the Manhattans, you had the, you know, in my house, you had a fully stocked bar in the basement, you had a liquor cabinet upstairs and beer and wine in the fridge. Now, does that make, does that mean I had an alcoholic family? My dad, maybe he might've qualified eventually, but he died kind of young. He had systemic lupus, um, not related to alcoholism. And I had, I did have people who I would consider to be alcoholics in the extended family. And, you know, I, I was growing up and I would watch and I would observe. And, you know, I was growing up as a little kid who never felt like she fit, who never felt quite right, who never felt comfortable in her own skin. Uh, my favorite thing was to sit on the couch, watch TV, look out the window and daydream, preferably with like, you know, some kind of tasty food in my hand, you know, like I like moving and running around. Yeah, don't make me do that. Just let me read a book. Thank you very much. You know, just always wanted to be someplace, else, excuse me, someplace else mentally. Um, you know, so I would watch, you know, again, just really uncomfortable watching my different relatives and noticing who I was gravitating to. And my Aunt Rita was one of my favorites. And I think she qualified for a she was probably she she was a big wine drinker and you know she'd be like it would be fun to be around her up until a certain point in the evening and then she'd have that last couple of ounces and something would flip now i didn't grow up like in my family you didn't have the red and blue flashing lights you didn't have the turkeys going out the window but you had fights you know you had fights and emotional and you know and it was it was always I wouldn't say it was scary, but it was distressing to say the least, because we'd be having fun and then something would change. Um, I had another aunt, Kathy, who was another alcoholic and her alcoholism scared me because she would she would just pass out and we kids would be left to into to our own devices. And I remember call, like I was staying there one time and I remember my mom told me I called her up, like, come get me. Oh, I was an hour and a half and away, like, come get me because I knew something was wrong. And there was. There was, it was active alcoholism. Um, you know, got older and again, not feeling right, but I somehow or other, I got the notion that whatever, whatever was wrong, I should try to fix it and I could fix it. I don't believe that at all today. And I'll get into a little bit more about what, the, what I think my limits are a little bit later. Um, I was chunky, I was a chunky kid. So first of all, 
fix your appearance, honey. Just, just get yourself together. And I figured that if I could get myself together on a physical level and look the part, then all those other things, like it was magical thinking, like all those other things would come together. I would be well-liked and accepted. I would feel well-liked and accepted. None of it was true, but it didn't mean that I didn't hold on to that notion for literal decades. Got into junior high and high school. And of course, then you're expected to start socializing. Now today, I'm neurodivergent, specifically I'm autistic. I got that diagnosis a couple, just a couple years ago. Had I known, had there been more known about that, I don't know, maybe things would have been a little bit different. I would have probably been thrust into one of those really abusive autism treatment programs, which don't get, I'm not, that's a whole other tangent, not going to go down that road. Um, but it, it would, I, I might have found, I might have found it easier to find other people who were like me, but instead I found the baby drunks. You know, and it was before they were drinking. So we hung out for a while in high school before people really started picking up. They started picking up. I didn't yet. I was terrified of alcohol. Why was I terrified of alcohol? Because deep down, I knew my relationship to it was not going to be normal. Correct. Um, I went for food first. I went for food and dieting first. That's where my addictive pattern sort of got their, got their start. Um, and honestly, I... These days, my primary struggle is still with food and with compulsive overeating. But am I an alcoholic? Yes, I do consider myself an alcoholic in recovery. Uh, I did not pick up a drink with intent until college. Um, I did. I sought psychiatric treatment. And I, when I say I saw it, I was 16 or 17 years old. And I was very much like, just fix me. Just take me to a doctor. Give me a pill and fix me. You know, because what, what was going on with me? looked like a couple of things that are discussed very length at length in the DSM-3 and DSM-5 these days. So yeah, there's, there are treatments for those conditions and I went on some of them. And what I can tell you about that is that I was able to sort of with those, I think I, if without any treatment, I would have just gone the route of booze and street drugs, but I had prescription drugs. So I was able to sort of go forward with the sort of preliminaries of building a bougie life for myself. And uh, yeah, I thought that wasn't going to go too well either. Substances or not substances. Um, I remember the first time I got feeling good, like they say in New England off of booze. I was a freshman in college, I think. And I think I split a pitcher of beer with someone again. No, no jackpots, no, nothing bad happened. I just like I just felt kind of relieved of being myself for a few hours. And I went home, got mild bed spins. But in my head was the thought, like, you can't be like this all the time. And that was that was the first time I got drunk. Did that stop me from going down the road of alcoholism? No, it did not. What happened with me is a very slow progression. Um, as I got older, I was absolutely bound and determined to look normal, to live a quote unquote normal life, which meant I would have to live up to that academic record that I built for myself. I'm autistic and I'm the flavor of autistic that does really well in school, but to live up to that in terms of career, never could, never could, although I tried like hell. Um, and what that meant was putting more and more pressure on myself to look normal, to act normal. And that came at a price and the price would be 
substance abuse. And so from someone who rarely drank in college, by the time I was in my late 20s and 30s, I was pretty much a daily drinker and much more on the weekends. Um, I love wine was my my booze of choice, although at the end you could put just in front of anything in front of me and I would drink it. I drank alone. I drank in bars. I drank going out. I drank for whatever reason. And the nice thing about booze was that like I didn't have to eat food then. I didn't have to overeat, you know, so it sort of served a dual purpose. Um, did it make me did two drinks short of normal? There is no normal for me. It's not like it's not in the same universe. Um, did it shut my head off a little bit? Yeah. Now I was on medications a lot when I drank. And to me, like if it sat on the bottle, do not take with alcohol. Uh, my thought was, that's a nice suggestion. I can figure this out myself. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, like I took, I, towards the end, I was in tranquilizers and tranquilizers and alcohol can make for very interesting combinations. But, you know, I, I don't know if anybody here remembers Karen Ann Quinlan, Quinlan, you know, she like, she was famously, uh, you know, in a coma for, I don't even know how, how long uh, due to quaaludes and alcohol. And I don't even remember why her case was such a notorious one because God knows how many hundreds or thousands of people wound up in her same situation. But that was sort of like the cautionary tale when I was coming up, but did it stop me from doing tranks and booze? No, no, not at all. Um, in 1998, I, it was actually my second pregnancy. I got pregnant, wasn't married to the guy, was not in any kind of relationship with the guy. Um, and I went through with the pregnancy and gave birth and quickly found out much to my horror. Horror is not too, I don't think that's too melodramatic a word that I had absolutely nothing to give that child. Now, what I learned in A was like, well, it's because you were drinking. No, 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 no. I mean, that, that didn't help, but I'm on, like, I'm the kind of autistic that I, I really can't have anybody else around. I can't be caring for anybody else. It's enough to care for me. And, but I didn't know that. And I wound up placing my son for adoption. Thank God he was better off where he was growing up. I was better off by myself, but I had no answers as to why that was, you know, all I had was looking in the mirror and saying, what the hell is wrong with you? You know, why can't you do anything? You know, and it was really, it just was really distressing isn't even the word. It was just, it, it was, I was just in despair. You know, I think for about another two and a half years after, was it two and a half years after I gave birth to my son? He's 23 now, he just turned 23 last month. And, you know, like towards that last year, you know, I was starting to notice that I couldn't go into a bar and have just one drink. It would always have to be more. Usually, you know, if there are co-workers around, hey, let's not, what, let's, why not get drunk in front of co-workers and then wake up and come to the next morning and be horrified? Hey, why not? You know, why not just pile on? And I, I had known about AA since I was a teenager. I known and I had known sober people along the way since I was a teenager. And there was always something about them that I liked. You know, and some of them would say to me, you know, I'm sober in AA. And I don't know, like, they probably just looked at me and said, yeah, she, she's a live one. We're saving a seat for her. Um, but they, they didn't say that to me. They didn't, they didn't act judgy. And see, that was, that impressed me too, that no one was coming at me like, why don't you get sober? Because I would have just told them to pound sand, you know, either mentally smiling, go pound sand, you know, my, my usual passive aggressive way. Um, 
So the last year there was, and there was someone that had been very important to me when I was a teenager who I found out died suddenly and died suddenly is always, it, a lot of times it's code for diet of addiction or alcohol, active alcoholism. And that actually was what happened to him. I found out about that death in November of 2001. Six weeks later, I was in AA, you know, and I will always connect the two. You know, it's almost like I was just watching, it's like watching your own death in slow motion, really. So I came into AA and I, for me, I, nothing I ever put in my system in terms of trying to make me normal ever made me normal. And that included all those segments. So I walked away. I walked away with the help of a sponsor. Would not, like, if you're on, I'm going to say right now, if you are on meds and they are working for you, please keep taking them. This is not about, this is about my, it's sort of my journey and what was right for me. So I, I did walk away, but I'll tell you, it was really, um, you know, that first year and a half was really rocky. I couldn't work. I was not sleeping because again, I was on tranquilizers to sleep with the booze, you know? So like even that wouldn't keep me down, you know? And so I'm not sleeping, trying to work full time, trying to keep the mortgage paid and the car payment up. And, you know, I did all that. And here's the thing. My sponsor said, go to your mom and ask for help. And she, my mom helped me, you know, she was, she would, she lived, she was, God bless her. She lived very frugally and she had tons of savings. So she just was able to help me out financially. I turned around later and was able to sort of manage her care from out of state. I will say this. I was in a very, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I, I had found myself a very culty group of AA because I was just like, just tell me what to do. I was terrified of screwing up and I was terrified of going back out and drinking and picking back up again. I was terrified of all of that. So you could like, the devil himself himself could have been like, I'll keep you sober. And I would have probably signed right up for that. So I was in a culty group with a very, like the sponsor tells, the sponsor has to bless everything like the mother superior. And um, that was okay for me. But like when I first started out, but as time went on, less and less okay. But again, I was so scared. At year 13 or 14, I walked away from that and I was terrified. I was like, I'm going to screw this up. I'm going to screw my life up, you know. Yeah, I mean, I probably made mistakes, but you know, did I did I pick up? No, I did not. And that would have been the biggest that that would have been the biggest baddest thing of all. I did not pick up, and you know, like none of the problems that I had been facing went away. You know, I still didn't feel right. I still was not really not capable of building relationships. I tried therapy. I tried this. I tried that. Hanging out with different people, just nothing. I just felt just empty inside and whatever, you know, and started thinking, you know, is there something more wrong with me? Because of course that was taboo in that culty group, you know, God forbid there's something more wrong with you other than alcoholism. Well, you know, I got the diagnosis of autism in 2019 and working full-time for many of us autists is very difficult. I had been doing it for a long time and I was just, I was fried. And I looked around, I looked at my financial situation and I said to myself, do you really need to keep doing this? No, <laughs> you don't. And so I got my diagnosis and within two months, I'd, I already had the plans in motion by the time I got that, but I sold the condo, sold the car, flew off to Latin America in 2019 and started traveling around, started you know, doing what I had wanted to do for a long time. 
And at that point, like I, I was so scarred by dealing with that culty theist group that I was just like, I don't believe in anything anymore. You know, I, I don't want to be told to what to believe in. Just, I'm not sure. I really, I don't know. So I called myself an agnostic and that's how I felt for a long time. And, you know, the pandemic came along and there was Tusnua and I will always be grateful because it was a really good place for me at the time. Cause I just could not, like, I couldn't go into regular AA meetings and hear the chirping and, you know, I still like there, are, like I go to a lot of OA meetings these days because that, again, that's really primarily what I wrestle with now. And although my faith life in terms of what I believe has, has changed, there's still chirping that goes on that I can't, I like, please tell me about your experience. If you are telling about me about your experience, I will like, I can always tell when someone is honestly talking about their experience as opposed to just parroting what they hear. Um, you know, when, if you're brand new, parroting is okay. Cause you don't know, you know, like I, <laughs> I find myself in a, a way of life where I'm, I'm having to write original content when I've got three months in and I'm like, guess what? I'm parroting. <laughs> parroting I have to because I like I, I don't know the lingo yet um it's okay so you know I lived in Latin America Mexico I was in Mexico more or less for about a year and a half pandemic came along got my vaccines yeah got my vaccines and um I quickly figured out well relatively quickly figured out Mexico wasn't for me and I was like where you know okay where do I go I'm not going back to the states it's too bloody expensive and started looking at Spain, you know, to, and I got a visa, you know, and it's not, there's no guarantee, like you can apply for a visa all you want to, there's no guarantee they're going to give it to you. And I will tell you this, like the day I got my last document in to, for that visa process, they approved my visa. And when I arrived here with my 18 cardboard boxes, I didn't even get a customs person. I got a, a civil guard guy and they don't care. They're just like, as long as the visa stamp is in your passport and, you know, sorry, you're like, you're a middle-aged white lady, like middle-aged white ladies can like, we, we could, we can literally get away with murder. And I think many of us do, you know, because, oh, they're not going to, they're not going to do anything wrong. Oh, really? But I, I, you know, the guy just let me through, like literally looked at my visa, 30 seconds, just waved me through with 18 boxes full of crap. So I settled in close to Granada, Spain, and I do speak some Spanish. It's I'm not great at it, but I do okay. And you know, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I started really feeling like still really being very, very curious about Islam. Now I've been curious about Islam for decades prior to that. But I was like, am I like is something? Am I being kind of called to convert here? Long story short, I did. And it was a very quick process and, you know, sort of alarmingly fast, but I like, no one was forcing me, you know, it's no one was saying you should convert. Like, no, it just, it, it just felt like the right thing to do. And I did it. So brand new Muslim, you know, I, I should, I should have my hijab on. Sometimes I, I don't, I don't do really, I don't really do hijab unless I'm in a mosque, in which case I will cover. And also we, we cover when we pray, but um, you know, it, for me, it's, it's really provided sort of a grounding, and especially for those of us who are very solitary, you know, like I, I feel like I'm sort of living a bit of a monk nun's life right now in some ways, uh, and it's okay. It's okay, I think, in some ways that that suits me really well. 
I still do go to a ton of recovery. I go to a little bit of AA. As I said, I go to more OA these days because food is just, it, it, you know, it, it really, I think there's some physical contributing stuff going on right now, but I've, I've returned to binge eating, which I hadn't been doing for decades. And that has started happening again last year. And it's, when you get older, it's just, it's devastating. Like physically, I just can't handle it, but it doesn't stop me from doing it. It's an addictive, it's just an addictive behavior, just like anything, just like booze was. So I go to a lot of that way, but it always behooves me to come to some AA because I, I don't believe, like, I don't believe I'm ever, one is ever cured of alcoholism. I was taught that in AA and I hang on to that. Um, you know, you can, stay away from it. And some people do, they leave AA, they just never go to meetings and they never pick back up. I don't want to run the risk. It's too ugly. I mean, binge eating is bad enough. I mean, binge drinking, no, 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 no way. They kicked me out of the country. Um, so I, you know, live in accordance with Princey, you know, the principles of recovery to the best of my ability. As I said, I have a real hard, like today is really hard. Um, there's just some stuff going on with my health. And I look at the state of the world and I'm like, what even, what even is going on anymore? But, um, you know, my, like the, the practice of Islam, the faith of Islam, like many faiths gives answers to that, that actually compute for me, they actually make sense. Um, you know, and God works through people. And it's important for me to remember that. And I may not have the kind of social life that looks like a lot of people's. I, I've never partnered that my son, I'm really like, we were in touch for a while when he was little, but we're, we're not in touch anymore. Not for my lack of trying, but some, it was told to me, you don't go where you're not wanted. You know, and I, I've got, like, I've gotten the polite brush off from him a couple of times. And like, he's, he's 23. He gets to choose who he wants in his life. And it may not be me. You know, and that's that's just that's that's just a truth I have to accept. But I live in a beautiful place. I spent uh, I, I was tent camping last week, which went OK, but it was in a beautiful place. And Spain, even without the conversion, Spain suits me really well. So I'll probably just, you know, God willing, the country still wants me. I'll still probably be here. Same apartment this time next year, I hope, you know, and uh, we'll see what happens with the rest of it. Um but the, the important thing that I can convey is that, you know, come into a, come into recovery, talking to other people, talking to other drunks, it works. It, it certainly worked to keep me sober for this, these many years. And, um, you know, for what, like it, it, each person's story is their story, um, but it's worked for a lot of people. And you don't like that whole time, faith, no faith, the whole time I said, I'm an atheist, <laughs> like the whole time. I did not pick up. So you do not have to profess a belief in God to stay sober. You don't need to do it, you know, no matter what anybody tells you. You know, that's that's my that is my experience. So with that, I'm gonna wrap it. Um again, it's I'm really glad to see that these meetings are they're flourishing, you know, even in we're moving towards a post-Zoom era, but I hope uh, you know, hope Zoom keeps going for because it really fits a variety of needs that weren't really being served prior to the pandemic. So that's it for me, thank you.